vendors and non-vendors alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And we're nearing the end of book one, Varney. We made it to the Northern Water Tribe. I know. This is so exciting because I love the design of the Northern Water Tribe so much. I mean, you you would, Varney. You are from the Water Tribe. <laughs> I, I stand mean. by it. But listen, there's a lot of fire and ice in this episode, buddy. There's a lot of fire and ice. Back and forth, back and forth. It's very effective. And it really conveys like a mood and the sort of like juxtaposition in a way that I thought was really cool. And we do still have a couple of very important episodes left to go, including this one, because today we're going to be talking about uh, the Waterbending Master. And at the end of this episode, you want to tell them? Oh, well, our special treat is the princess herself. Joanna Braddy. I can't wait to talk to Princess Yue about everything going on and, and how she felt about playing the character and how iconic Princess Yue is. Oh, absolutely. But before we do that, we're going to get into this episode where the group finally gets to that Northern Water Tribe and we have this big celebration. We see Sokka fall for someone, a.k.a. Yue, who we just brought up. We have some waterbending teaching that may or may not be happening with a new waterbending master, hence the title of the episode. I mean, big, big stuff happening in this episode, not the least of which is really seeing Katara's waterbending herself and finding out a little bit about her history. And then on the Fire Nation side, we have Admiral Zhao at it again. And like, he's got some plans for Zuko that are extremely disturbing. What that a kind jerk. of stuff going on. Oh, what a jerk. And this episode, this very iconic episode, was written by one of our dads, Michael Dante DiMartino, and was directed by the wonderful Giancarlo Volpe. I want to circle back on this with you at the end, buddy. And I think we talked about it in a previous episode. But like just the question of a culture that is different from yours that you want to respect because it has this rich tradition and you don't want to be ethnocentrist about things. And yet there is a thing that is a part of their culture that you feel is unethical in some way or you feel is unfair to some member of whether it's gender or race or age or whatever. When you disagree with it, like, how do we handle that? And I think it poses a really interesting question this episode. Should we jump into let's it? Let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. All right. Let's start the Northern Water Tribe. We start out, big shout out to the koala otter at the beginning. Yeah, the gang's flying thing. low to the water with spiky icebergs jutting out. And then Sokka's grumpy as usual. I'm not one to complain, but can't Appa fly any higher? I have an idea. Why don't we all get on your back and you can fly us to the North Pole? Katara tries to make peace by reminding them that they're all exhausted from flying two days straight. Sokka has no faith that they'll even ever find the Northern Water Tribe. But he's barely gotten his words out when suddenly a bunch of ice shards just jet out of the water and we all discover that they're surrounded by Water Tribe boats. This already was a very impressive showing since all we saw in the Southern Water Tribe were, you know, remember like, not a lot going on <laughs> as far as... A cute little ice tower, a lookout tower, children's soldiers. Remember when I thought oh, that one little village was the whole water tribe? Even there was, there's others. I mean, this new place we're seeing is like New York City of the water tribe <laughs> lands. I guess wherever they were in the Southern Water Tribe was somewhere like Barstow or something. I do love that Sokka is straight up got his like dagger out because it could only be the water tribe. It could only be the Northern Water Tribe that's yeah. water bending and getting in their, their way. Water bending, you know what their I mean? color scheme. My guy, yeah. that's not yeah. red. 
Yeah. <laughs> but nevertheless, he's got his guard up. He's still ready to defend his friends and family, his chosen family. And we actually jump out of that moment where they're surrounded in, by a circle of Water Tribe boats where it's like they're excited yet maybe a little nervous about having found them. And we don't even get to see what happens right away because we go over straight to get old Admiral Chow. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to his men, including this guy, Captain Lee. And they're talking about how you know, the Avatar's clearly heading north towards the Northern Water Tribe. Captain Lee's like, what's the holdup? Let's go get him, right? And Zhao's like, you know, that's actually unwise. And we find out through his kind of warning to Captain Lee and to his men, he reminds them the Northern Water Tribe is incredibly strong. They have great fortifications. They're very protected. And that the Fire Nation can't just like swoop in there with not a lot of fighters and just take the avatar it's not going to be that easy they're going to need a huge army so we know that's brewing over there and then only then do we go back to team avatar as we've seen okay well obviously nothing bad happened because now they're riding along with this fleet of northern water tribe boats and they get to the outer wall of the northern water tribe and it is awesome and i just want to point out that the music is so extra great in this It really gives you the feeling of seeing something new. Like you really get the sense of what I'm seeing right now is so special. It's like they've crossed into kind of a new frontier of this mythical thing is real. And it's so cool looking already just from the outside. And then we see the waterbenders almost in the same kind of formation as when we first saw the earthbenders working together in right. prison, you know, that like moment where they're all like working together and then they open up the, gate. the walls down. They're like doing all kinds of intense water bending it is so cool it was beautiful yeah i guess it you know you're saying it resembles venice like it was like bit. all the canals yeah and whatnot it it was really really beautiful and then out of nowhere bam out comes a girl he sees princess yue for the first time and it's one of those moments avatar is so good at that love at first sight kind of moment we saw it with jet and katara earlier in the show and of course the very first one with ang seeing katara seeing it now with Sokka looking at yue and yue i mean she's cute she's a fashion icon she's become this iconic character in the show who we think of princess yue and that first moment is we're all stopping our tracks like, who's that This place is beautiful. Yeah, she is. And she's so arresting. She looks so different than anyone we've seen so far. She has white hair. She has this beautiful white hair. She, she has, has this beautiful hair. outfit. <laughs> if I see a teenager girl walk around with white hair, stunning, I'd be like, who's that? That's yeah. UA forever. She almost looks like a supermodel, avant-garde, like runway model, you know, in terms of like everything she has on is very special and very poised and her hair is amazing. And so we don't know yet. It could be that she's like this very uppity character, right? It could be like, oh, she's like the ungettable, like whatever she is, she's clearly important and maybe she's going to be a snob or something. But we do see, like you said, that little blush that creeps onto Sokka's cheeks as he's taking her in and you're like, yes, it's so sweet. From there, the Northern Water Tribe hosts a big feast in honor of Katara and Sokka, as as well as Aang, but also that Chief Arnook's daughter, Princess Yue, is turning 16. And then there's a very cool entertainment part of the feast with someone named Master Paku, who directs the whole show of waterbending. 
when I watched it again, I remember I had in my head that when you guys did the premiere of Avatar and there were actual right. fire throwers and stuff at your premiere. So it was fun because I was like, oh, this reminds me of a real world thing, but fire for the Avatar premiere. It's true. And it was crazy because when I look at the fire stuff, it reminds me of like hula dancing because it's, you know, they, they dance with sure. fire and it's all this kind of stuff. But they were doing a similar thing, but with water, which you don't see anyone in our world like water. We see people playing with fire. We don't see people just like dancing with water. Like, That's true. What? That's They're... a very good point. The closest thing we could see is like the fountain at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, but there's nobody in there. It's just a fountain. There's nobody there. It's just the water. But that's magical. It is magical. At the Grove. They have one at the Grove now, too, in L.A. We like. That's right. When you take a second to stand there like a child, you're like, this is actually pretty wonderful. How do they do that? This is wonderful. It's dancing exactly in tune with the music. Same. Exactly. I love it. I absolutely love it. So they're at this feast. Sokka's like trying to flirt with Yue, and it isn't coming off very smooth which Katara uh-huh. teases him about. And, I mean, his game gets better throughout the show. But right. he's a kid. He's a teenager. He tries to impress Yue by saying he's kind of the prince of the of his tribe. Which you brought up. You I brought mean, he kind of is, though. Yeah. He's kind of the prince of Barstow. He's trying to give her a reason not to dismiss him, right? right. And so he thinks, right, like, right, right. well, maybe that'll be the thing that makes me seem like I'm not an idiot. He's like, hey, I know you don't know what's going in, down in my neighborhood, but... yeah. In my tribe, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh-huh. And then too bad, <laughs> unfortunately, your sister is sitting right next to you going, oh, really? Oh, are you a big deal? What are you the prince of again? I'm a big deal. Have you seen my war paint and my uh-huh. boomerang? Yeah. And he, he clumsily asks Yue out to an activity. And then Chief Arnook introduces Aang to Master Paku, who will be his waterbending teacher, which is while they're up here in the first place. And Paku is like a real gruff right out of the gate. Basically, no special treatment because he's the Avatar, which, you know, I guess is tough love. That's good. I guess. But like, really? Can you? This is the thing about my immediately when you get into the Northern Water Tribe, like they're whack. Like, <laughs> like, are you guys serious right now? You're going to like. It's just him. I mean, yeah, I agree with you that they're not saying anything to Paku when he says that. Paco's um, a jerk, for but sure. But he's just, like, very gruff. I, you know, I, I was going to say this later, but he actually does kind of remind me a little bit of J.K. Simmons' character in Whiplash, which I thought was really funny since yeah. J.K. plays Tenzin. Yeah. And I was like, there's a little pinch of J.K. there, that, like, tough love teacher where you're like, is this bordering on, like, just really crappy attitude? <laughs> like, yeah. At what, at what point is this not helping at all and you're just, like, kind of an unpleasant I'm dude? with that. That's a pretty good comparison. It's like you're, like, dude, Dude, why are you so over it? Why are you teaching anyone if you're like this resentful? J.K. Simmons and Whiplash, you're teaching music, my guy. It's music. I can get a little bit more in this show because you're teaching the Avatar. He has to do some military things to save the world. It's like you're you're in a little more higher stakes situation. Yeah. So I can kind of get that at the beginning for Aang to be like, yeah, we're just gonna chill for a while. Like we're just gonna have have a couple days off. Like I could understand him being like. I need to end this right away. Like, he yeah, needs to no, not so think he, that's what's going to be He had to be a little bit. But he took it overboard. He, yeah. Bordering on abusive. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I wanted to point out before we move on is I did love that moment when the chief is kind of introducing the feast and he says, our brother and our sister from the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, I just thought true. that was really beautiful. I did like that, too. I mean, because yeah. they're all connected. They're all family. It's all family. Tonight... We celebrate the arrival of our brother and sister from the Southern Tribe. 
And they have brought with them someone very special, someone who many of us believed disappeared from the world until now. The Avatar. That would feel so good for all the journey that they've had to get there and be welcomed in and, and using family member. Like, I, I thought that was great. But we go back to the Fire Nation and, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the episode, but we really start to see this great juxtaposition because the coldness and the icy and the white and the blue of the water tribe. And then we're just like flipping back so fast to the Fire Nation. Everything is the sort of you know, the red and the intensity. And, and this is where we have our... Iroh song, the first introduction we have to Four Seasons, and it's so good. And we heard the story from you and from Andrea Romano about Mako recording it, and it just kind of comes and goes in this episode. So I think of that song so often, and actually want to record a cover of it. I've been working on something for a while, so maybe I'll bust it out to you to listen to. Yeah, but it's just funny that it's like this episode is not about that, but it feels so important. And so many of us love it because it is Mako and because it is Iroh. Like, isn't it funny that when you watch it in context, the first time you hear the song, you're just like, oh, it's just music night at the beginning of this. Yeah. And then other things happen. Well, it's just kind of like your uncle that likes to sing, you yeah. know? And you don't <laughs> yeah. think much about it, but then you, you don't realize these songs that your uncle is singing or your aunt, you know, your elders. It actually means certain things in their life. You know, we don't take that into account. We just enjoy it for the moment. Like, oh, they're singing again. Like, whatever. And then you learn later on, these songs are like, yes. you know, like really like deep songs in their memories and their in their, you know. The life experience. Absolutely. We've seen the sort of leisure and artsy activities that Ira likes to do, but we haven't just had this moment of stillness where there's just very spare music and Ira himself is singing. It's like the lyrics are about love, but there's something melancholy about it. That's why Ira is many people's favorite character because he's so many layers Mm. to Ira and little by little. And none of it's ever given to you like... Bam, this is what we're talking yes. about. It's like kind of fed to you through the show in like very small increments like this. And when you look back, you're like, this dude is multi-layered. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then right after that, you know, we go from this very kind of intimate moment to Zhao basically just arriving and being like, eh, I'm going to go ahead and need your crew. So going to have to go ahead and take everybody. Cool, cool, cool. I hate Listen, when he shows up, Zhao. Whenever Zhao shows such up, a, like, uh, I feel uncomfortable. Like I'm like I do too. a little anxious just him I being in the room. I'm like, uh. I as an it. audience I feel, member. Yeah, Zuko I feel too. exactly the same way. Again, as we've shouted out many times, like Jason does such a great job of being that guy that it effectively is like oh please leave you're messing up everyone's vibe and in fact he's taking the crew but he's like nice enough to invite Iroh to be the general and and here they are in in Zuko's chambers and then Zhao sees those two swords on the wall and we see him flashback to the blue spirit and Zhao's like huh oh I guess you got some sword skills looks like you're pretty good with a broadsword and what does Zuko do? Zuko's like, oh. No, no, no. Those are decorative. Those, yeah. <laughs> I got those at cost plus. And we're like, how much does Zhao know? Because he definitely asks about the blue spirit. 
And Iroh just like totally blank is just like, yeah, a lot of people don't even say he's real. We all wonder like, is he, you know, is he covering for Zuko? Like, that's what, you know. At this point, we don't know how much Uncle Iroh knows. We know Zhao is sniffing a scent. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely sniffing Zuko's. around. And he does that thing where like, that's a classic villain move. It's also like a classic move maybe of, you know, kids who did something in a classroom and the teacher's like, well, I just want to say the person who did that, whether they're in this room or not, is it's going worst. to be in a lot of trouble. It's You're the like, worst. It's the worst moment. Like, should I yeah. lie or should I come clean yeah. now? Now's the moment of truth. <sighs> yeah, it's it's intense. And, you know, that scene is over. You're right. It's like so uncomfortable. And then we go back to the Water Tribe and, and Katara and Aang show up to learn and Aang didn't say he just said his friend the night before he said my friend and I are so excited bring to learn. my friend I got a friend yeah bring a friend asking for a friend and when Katara shows up Haku's like oh no 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 nope that's not true. happening she a girl yeah that's not how we do it up here in the northern side I don't know what y'all doing in the southern tribe but that's yeah. not how we rock up here in the north the women are healers. The women are healers. healers. Which, by the way, no, we can all agree. No disrespect to healers. Like Healing's Katara great. wants to be both. But why is it like this? And that is not something that she took into account. Never at any point did she think, well, I'll learn to water bend too. But of course, it will only be for this one purpose as right. dictated to me by this community. Katara, to this point, has been fighting alongside the guys. We need her as a warrior. She's learning that she can also heal, which is great. But... Up till now, I don't think it even entered our mind that women can't fight. We need her to fight as well as she can in most of the situations to get the gang out of the situation. So then she comes here and the older generation is looking at her like, hey, hey, you need to sit over there with, with those people and just do that and not do this. What do you mean you won't teach me? I didn't travel across the entire world so you could tell me no. No. But there must be other female waterbenders in your tribe. Here, the women learned from Yagoda to use their waterbending to heal. I'm sure she would be happy to take you as her student, despite your bad attitude. It's kind of like, wow, okay. Certainly, Aang is not happy about it either. And he's already just so resistant to learning from Paku. And, you know, here, Katara kind of gets kicked out. She is, she's going to learn to heal with, with Yagoda and... Paku's just being very tough on Aang. Meanwhile, Sokka sees Yue again, and they do make some evening plans. Right. So he does have game. How about that picnic last night? Boy, your dad sure knows how to throw a party. I'm happy you enjoyed yourself. Well, it wasn't as much fun after you left. So I'm still hoping we can see more of each other. Do an activity, you mean? Yes, at a place for some time. I'd love to. I'll meet you on that bridge tonight. Great! I love how Sokka's just doing a romantic thing this way. Like, everyone else is doing some serious things that are going on. Sokka's like, I'm just trying to catch a date with this girl. <laughs> the whole episode. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They make their plans. And then, you know, Katara finishes her class. And you go to sees Katara's necklace. But she doesn't identify that right away. She asks Katara just straight out, like, oh, who are you engaged to, basically? And Katara's like, I don't know even why you would be saying that. And then Yagoda points out her necklace and Katara's like, no, no, this is just this is a necklace that my grandmother gave me. And on closer examination, she's like, wait a minute, I know this necklace. This is Kana's necklace. 
And Katara is totally shocked. Kana has not been telling her the story of coming from the Northern Water Tribe. This is totally new information that she's learning. And it reminded me of what you were saying recently before, where you're like, we don't know our parents in the way that their peers knew them or the way that their parents knew them or, you know, the different generations. We see different versions of our family members. And here she's suddenly getting this peek into, wait a minute, so Grand Grand was here in the Northern Water Tribe and the guy who carved this necklace for her was here and she was supposed to marry that guy? Like, that's... That's a lot of information. That's heavy. A and B, having this necklace around my neck the whole time is telling everybody else that I'm engaged. What? I know. <laughs> That's a good point. What like, signal I like, have I been, been putting just out there? Everyone know I'm wearing a wedding ring right now this whole time. <laughs> yeah, you, Katara, you've been walking around the world with a wedding ring on and you ain't married. Just so That's you know. That's very funny. I hadn't even thought about it that way. That's absolutely true. And Listen, I'm reluctant to bring this up now, but I we do want to acknowledge it. I'm saying I'm reluctant to bring it up because right now Paco is just very annoying because he's the guy who wouldn't let Katara right. waterbend. Right. But it is true that Paco is the waterbender that you've seen in silhouette at the opening of every episode. Paco is, is the one waterbending in the opening credits. So I, that, that's Paco. I didn't realize that. I know Azula's definitely doing the firebending. I don't know how she got that job. She's very one track. It's not your fault that you're a more complicated character and that it's not all about fire, fire, fire. I don't know how she got that job. I gotta look at the beginning more in depth and see who these other guys are. I'm actually really glad you mentioned this because it's the perfect time for a little break bite because a lot of you may already know this, but in the opening sequence, of course, we see Paku, which we just established, and Azula, which you mentioned, Dante. The Earthbender ended up being Roku's teacher, Sud, and the Airbender isn't a particular Airbender, just a wonderful, glorious Airbender. And then also, Mike and Brian, they complemented the marriage of the character's voice and the animation and the design, and Victor Brandt played Master Paku. So big shout out to him. I want to say, too, that John Polito played Chief Arnook, and I had the delightful pleasure of briefly working with John Plato on a movie that we were doing and I was such a fan of his so shout out to him and shout out to Lucille Bliss playing Yagoda just wanted to throw those names out into the Avatar verse since we are going to be talking to Johanna but yeah so anyway they were really happy with the kind of marriage of the the character design and the voice and just like the overall characterization of Paku so I hope he shapes up and deserves all this praise that, that he's getting we right hope now he's bumming me out we hope I mean guys on before every episode yeah so then we're back to the Fire Nation where we meet some old friends. There we go. Some old friends. We didn't know they were going to be here today. But guess what, everybody? Here they are. The pirates. They're yeah. back from the waterbending yeah. scroll. That's yeah. right. Those pirates are yeah. back. Somehow Zhao's hired them to do something for him. But we don't know exactly what yet. But they look so slimy. As soon as you see him, they're like, dude, these guys are up to no good, these pirates. They're, they live a rough life. They live, they live a rough, a rough life. life, and they're just, like, for hire mercenary yeah. types. You all seem highly qualified for the mission I have in mind. That's some tasty gold. What do you need us to do? So meanwhile, Zuko and Iroh have no crew since Zhao took them. And then Iroh goes for an evening walk, and Zuko sulks in his room. But he goes out onto the deck of the ship just in time to see that iguana parrot ignite the fuse that will explode the whole ship. I mean, that, that was a crazy explosion. 
And he could have just been in his room. Now, he could have also been off the ship because I believe Iroh asked him if he wanted him to come along. But Zuko was like not feeling it. That's one of those things. It's causality. Yeah. So luckily, at least he went out to do some sulking above deck so that he could see that because he barely saved himself. That explosion was like one of the biggest explosions I've ever seen on the show. Like, holy, this is it blew up the whole ship. And you're like, hold up. Yeah, he was going to get assassinated. Like, is that they what we're talking about? I know. Like, Zhao wanted to assassinate him? That's what I'm talking about. Zhao was taking it to... Come on, Zhao. That's dark. Zhao, you can't assassinate a teenager. Uh, is that what you're doing? Zhao basically saw the blue spirit, put A, B, and C together with the, with the sword and said, this guy is a traitor. And yeah. guess what now? Yeah. No trial. I'm just going to hire some mercenary pirates. <laughs> And yeah. assassinate Why him. <laughs> Why not? That was his plan. And what was crazy, it blows up so big. And then Iroh from a distance, you know, he's shook by the situation, looks back and he runs. It's actually pretty emotional when he's like yelling, Zuko. I know. And he I'm runs so back scared. and there's that pick. There's that, that, that again, uh. we talk about these beautiful images in the show and even heartbreaking images of just Iroh like as a shadow with this really big explosion as he's yelling for Zuko. It's really emotional and. It's very sweet. And it's one of those things where you don't want it to have happened at all. But when it does happen, it gives you a little peek again into how deeply Iroh cares for Zuko. And he has that reaction that a father would have and a good father would have. And so in that way, sort of a lovely moment. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. And then we go back to Sokka and Yue bringing their plan to fruition. They meet up on this, again, this sort of bridge. It really reminds me of Venice, this beautiful kind of canal. And he gives her (laughs) this fish carving that is a little rough around the edges. It's not (laughs) amazing. Bless Sokka's heart. I made you something. I carved it myself. It's a bear. Actually, it's supposed to be a fish. See, it has a fin. Oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have asked you to come here. She's so drama. All these princesses have got drama in their life. Oh, we'll find out why. It's it's not her fault that drama exists. She was born into it. But so she leaves and Sokka's like, what? Like what I do? And he throws his little sculpture into the water. It's hard to be a guy in the world sometimes, Varney. Uh, I guess. But of course he thinks it's about him, as we all would. So when everybody kind of meets back up, everybody's upset, right? Sokka's upset about Yue. Katara's upset because she doesn't get to learn how to waterbend. Aang is upset because Katara's not learning to waterbend and he doesn't really like Paku. But Sokka at least has one suggestion for a solution. He's like, well, you know, Aang can teach Katara at night. So at least the the knowledge will be passed on. And, right. you know, that. so that does, you know, that's a really good that's idea. Great, so Katara and Aang well, are sort of set. So- but Sokka's, Sokka's like, a genius. Sokka's yeah, a genius. Sokka's a genius. He does that doesn't really help his situation, but you know, have a little compassion for him right now because he just feels like he's got his heart stepped on. But she still has to kind of rib him and be like, But you're always unhappy, so don't worry, it's not that she's just playing games, Sokka. Don't worry about she's just playing games, Sokka. He he felt the vibe, he knows she felt the vibe. Yeah, it's confusing, it's It's definitely mixed signals, but we'll find out why. And so, Katara and Ang go outside, and Ang does, in fact, begin to teach Katara these moves that he has learned for that day. And Katara's doing a pretty good job, and then all of a sudden, the the water just sort of like completely shapes itself differently and like flies upward. And Ang's like, Whoa, that's so cool! And Katara's like, That, uh, that wasn't me. And so, here we see that Paku was above them, and he is not happy at all that. 
They are flouting all of his, like, everything he said, they've just totally ignored. And he is, like, done. And he basically says, I'm not teaching you, Avatar. I certainly continue to not be teaching you, girl, who should not be doing this at all. You've disrespected me. You have disrespected my entire culture. It is a major dismissal. He is not happy. And so that's not good. Um, And he's like, I'm not going to teach the Avatar, which, again... That is a saucy decision. Like, wow, you really, you're just, you're not even going to teach the Avatar. Like, okay. The fate of the world depends on it and you're not going to teach the Avatar. What are you thinking? Yeah. And the next day, Katara, she's trying to rectify the situation. She's pleading with the chief, please, if Haku can't teach me, at least, you know, can he teach Aang? And Chief Arnook is like, well, maybe if you apologized. And Katara's like, and we've all been there. I can't. Dude, I, I just cannot I apologize to this man. She is not going to do it. And she's so upset about it that she, you know, she's like, I won't do it. And she sends this like crack of power through the water, you know, the ice of the floor yes. and explodes this water urn. Even that you're like, oh, we remember this. This is the kind of thing that we saw at the very beginning. Like she found Aang. Super powerful. Because she's anger. got this power in her. Yeah, exactly. When she's, when her emotions are taking over. So how do you harness that? I suspect he might change his mind if you swallow your pride and apologize to him. Fine. I'm waiting, little girl. No. No way am I apologizing to a sour old man like you! And then we very quickly go back to the Fire Nation. We see Iroh telling Zhao about Zuko and then saying, I guess I'll accept your offer to be... Uh, a general, which again, this is all very shocking and upsetting. Right. So we don't know what's going on there. The only thing I wanted to point out about that, and it is again a disturbing scene, a disturbing moment, and we're there for a very brief amount of time. All that being said, I do have a share me the details moment, which is that I really liked the dragon teapot <laughs> that Joe was pouring <laughs> was a the nice tea out of. It was nice very teapot. cool. It's a little dragon's head, yeah. and the tea comes out of that, and this on the spout. And I thought that was very out cool. Tea. He was spitting out tea. They didn't have nice. to do that. They didn't have to do that detailed moment. That is a share me the details moment because it's such a short scene. It's not about that at all. And yet there's this wonderful dragon teapot. So shout out to the dragon teapot. <laughs> and that moment before you just talked when they got caught. Don't you hate when you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing? It's very clear. They said, don't do this. And then you're doing it. But you get caught. They got caught like immediately. Immediately. One move From the one guy that they didn't want to get caught by. Not even (laughs) by someone that's going to tell him he's there watching. You're like, oh, no. That's the one rule I gave you. You're like, that's the rule we broke. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. So she challenges and she's like, I'm going to fight you. I will fight you. I'm going to show you what a powerful bender I am. You have to fight me. That's a gutsy move, Katara. Gutsy move. I mean, you're a teenager. You're standing up to uh, your elders for sure, which in a lot of cultures, especially the water tribe, frowned upon. And then he's a master. That's why he got chosen to teach the Avatar. So it's like, what are you doing? Very gutsy. Now, the next day, Katara waits for Paku to fight her. I mean, that's crazy, too, because they set a time, right? But he just blows her off. She water whips him. And the fight is on. And it was a good water. She'd been practicing on that water whip. Yeah, we've seen it. She could do that water whip. She's got that water whip now, 100%. That's right. And and Katara's got moves. She really holds her own against Paku. It seems clear he's still stronger of the two, but she's way more powerful than we've ever seen. She even does this awesome thing where he dumps her into a pool of water and she makes this ice stack and she starts like 
flinging these ice discs at him. Sizzing off those ice discs. We even see in the slow-mo as he sees his reflection in a sharp thin disc and then goes right past his nose. Then Katar demands that he teach her, but he still refuses. Yeah. And eventually he's got her trapped in this very cool like icicle kind of cage. He's the waterbending master. Like, okay, of course he ultimately is yeah. going to win. And but she's at some point of, her necklace like falls off, right? Right. So he actually she's all disheveled. Up. Like, yeah. I haven't seen Katara's hair all messed up like this. And like, she's a mess. Well, I'm impressed. You are an excellent waterbender. But you still won't teach me, will you? No. This fight is over. Come back here. I'm not finished yet. Yes, you are. And then he sees her necklace. Yeah. And then we find out that Paku was the one who carved it for Grand Grand. And then Grand Grand left everyone behind because she didn't want an arranged marriage. But he loved her. It was like, what? Yeah. No wonder he's so bitter. I know. He's super sour. Right? It is interesting that, you know, she has this necklace that represents kind of everything she doesn't want. But at the same time, perhaps she has like an emotional attachment to it. Or maybe she even wants it to remember why she left. But here she has this necklace that becomes this heirloom. So it's interesting that this marriage that was represented by this necklace was something that she totally turned away from. But the necklace itself kept that importance to the point where Katara now has it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is like the best case scenario for a family heirloom, right? The best case scenario. <laughs> generations and generations, family of past things, little trinkets that have amounted to nothing. But this time, it saves Katara's. But it also, like you said, there's a history behind these heirlooms. I mean, it's kind of a beautiful sentiment. And again, it's another layer within the story that's been around. And every episode we've seen that necklace, but we didn't yeah. know the significance behind that necklace. So there's multi-generational stories behind that necklace. So it's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And also we should point out, because it just happened, that the Katara and Paku battle is known to be one of Brian's favorite uh, fights really? in the series. Yeah, just and, and it's great. And it's such an important moment for Katara. So we go over to the Fire Nation side and Iroh is marching through this hallway and he kind of comes up on this masked soldier and we realize oh he's saying something he's like muttering to this soldier right. that Zhao doesn't suspect anything and shortly thereafter we find out okay everybody can just calm down because Zuko is fine maybe a little worse for wear but he's a little he banged is up. alive he's a little banged up little banged a little up. banged up he's seen worse so he's gonna be all right and he is incognito yet again not as the blue spirit but as a soldier and we find out in that moment that they're planning to stay on board and then when they reach the northern water tribe the idea is that Zuko will still be able to get to the avatar faster than Zhao kind of giving Zhao a taste of his own medicine right. if you don't mind my saying like you know he's they're like finally we're gonna piggyback on Zhao because he's been piggybacking the on us time. and trying to steal the, the credit time. this whole time so that's kind of the plan and then back at the northern water tribe we kind of hear more about from Paku about Kana's decisions and you know Katara's like yeah she doesn't agree with sexism guess what and this would never work for her and as she's sort of standing up for herself and for Grand Grand you know Yue 
inexplicably bursts into tears and kind of runs away. And Sokka, even though he felt dissed by her, he follows her and they talk. And he's like, I never even thought that someone as amazing and high ranked or whatever as she is, that she could even care for a guy like him. And she does kiss him. It was a heck of a kiss, you guys. You guys know what I'm talking about. That was a heck of a kiss, Sokka. Rock my man Sokka's world. To this day, Sokka's messed up over that kiss. Well, especially because then right after that, it's a 180 where she has to go, but by the way, I am also engaged. I know. Then she flashes that necklace on him. She says, I too have that engagement necklace. I do like you a lot, but we can't be together. And not for the reason you think. It's because I'm engaged. I'm sorry. Rough, buddy. That's rough. Rough. Ah! And then, so that's all we see of that. You know, we will see more of that. We will see more of Yue, of course. But we go to the following day. Aang is training with the still totally irascible Paku. And then we see Katara show up. And we're very happy to see that even with all this drama that's gone down, she has effectively changed his mind. He will train her everything sort of happened as it needed to for the outcome to be that she would be able to train with him and so that's very exciting we talk about oh, yeah. arcs in in this show and characters yeah Paku even has a great arc here and learns a lesson with the necklace and understanding that his past love left because of certain points of view that he and the northern water tribe have and then it's happening again right now with his issues with Katara and then he even gets to have an arc of kind of overcoming that mindset or that perspective. And I think that kind of brings us back to what we were saying at the beginning, which is what's important to preserve in cultural history, wanting to be mindful of that and wanting to be respectful of that, but also recognizing that in certain situations, this one being a good example, the old learn something from the young. It's not a one-way street, right? It's a give and take, and it's a lovely moment that Paku is... And ostensibly sort of in representation of the whole tribe saying, you know, maybe we got it wrong or maybe it's not right anymore. Or maybe it's time to change. Maybe it's time to change. change. Exactly right. Exactly right. So there's this really kind of great moment. And we now know that the two of them, Aang and Katara, are going to be training together. And we barely have a second to enjoy that because suddenly we cut to outside the walls of the Northern Water Tribe where a massive fleet of Fire Nation boats are Here come them Fire Nation boys. Here and come them Fire Nation boys. Is the last thing we see in the episode. It leads you to believe, like, I mean, it's not, this is not really a two part or anything, but it feels that way to me because yeah, it feels like exactly. so open ended. Like, 100%. What's going to happen? We're right at some really crazy stuff about to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a critical moment. You're so right. Animal Crossing, I mean, I think. Principally, what I remember, the koala otters. Had koala otters had a great placement. Like, it, yeah. they, they had its own shot. You you're go right. Ahead. You're right. They start yeah. out the show. They start out the show. And so then that just takes us into our most valuable bending moment and most valuable hmm. non-bending moment. Again, big bending episode. lot going on. Hmm. What are we thinking is the most valuable, for whatever reason we think it's the most valuable. Most powerful bending, bending moment. moment. That's pretty good. What are you thinking? I kind of just have to go with like the whole fight with Katara and Paku because and with Katara being the most valuable in the sense that, you know, we are seeing her do things that 
we just did not know she could right. execute She's definitely so leveled up. She's definitely leveled She's up. way leveled up. And it's almost that feeling of like, you know, when they say like, we all, we always, whenever we talk on this podcast about improv, we always say like improvise with someone better than you or try mm-hmm. to act, get a scene with someone who you think is more talented than you because it right. will, you'll learn from them. It almost could be like that. Like, even if she doesn't like him, the fact that he's so powerful almost drives her forward to be True. better. It's so crazy how... This episode, we're not even talking that much about Aang in this particular episode. You're There's right. So you're right. We barely talked on. about him. It's not. Impo- it's just not that important. That's it's a not really the focus good point. of what's going on at the moment. Even though he yeah. is, he's always a focus because he's the Avatar. But sure. There's so many other things. It's not going his on episode. Right now. It's not, it's his, not episode. his episode. That's first. That's absolutely right. You're so I give the guitar right. most valuable ending moment. Okay. And I love the ingenuity of the ice discs. So yeah, if I had to cool. say a moment within the fight, I love the moment that because you really get to see because they go into slow-mo, you really get to see his face and his face is like, oh, right. she's good. Like, uh-oh, she's good. What about most valuable non-bending? One of my feelings like just the fact that Palku changes and takes Katara in is a very powerful mm. non-bending moment to yeah. like see things are changing he's changing he's learning that's great and consequently hopefully the whole northern water tribe is learning like we're gonna do a new era it's not about breaking through sexism i think that's most powerful non-bending i think you're right absolutely i agree with you i also want to give an honorable mention and it is definitely a non-bending moment emotionally valuable non-bending moment is iroh when he thinks that zuko got blown up oh yeah that was heavy like, That's super oh, heavy. Oh, I loved it. And then on that note, there's another emotional non-bending moment that rocked my man Sokka's world getting kissed by Yue. That's always... <laughs> also you, very key. The, the, ver- the first kiss of, yeah. some, you know, of some like love at first sight situation for everybody who's been in there understands there's all kinds of heart bending going on. There's all kinds of stuff popping up. All kinds of emotions. It feels just as powerful as any bending that ever happens. Exactly. That's a great point. Looking for a homespun way to show someone they're special? Invest in an It's a Fish carving kit and whittle your way to love. What makes our carving kit different from the rest? It's all in our patented accompanying card, which simply reads, It's a Fish. Don't make them guess. It's better this way. It's a Fish carving kits. It's a Fish card sold separately in some areas. I mean, listen, we're talking about UA so much in this episode. I think we should just get into it so that we can welcome our guest and we could talk about this episode and Princess UA in particular some more. And we know probably all of you have already seen The Siege of the North Part 2. But if not, we do have a big foreshadow report that comes up in this conversation. We've talked about it in past episodes. But just come back to this interview next week if you don't yet know what happens and you want to find out for yourself. Want to do it? Let's do it, everyone. Welcome. Joanna Braddy, Princess Yue. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Joanna, thank you so much. Such a fan favorite and a fashion icon in the Water Tribe world. Oh my gosh. I am so honored to have played her. She is so cool. Major fashion icon. When we see somebody wearing a Princess Yue cosplay at a Comic-Con or something, mm. everyone like gathers around her and wants to take their picture with her because she's like <laughs> so special. Oh, I love I that. I think her hair is harder to get than like Katara when you just kind of can do the little strands in the front. Right, right, right. You know. I know you and I, we recorded this series many, many years ago. 
So yes. what is your memory of doing Princess Yui? What's your memory of first coming uh, aboard the, the Team Avatar? Yeah, it was like, I didn't live in LA. I was in high school still, and I came out to LA for pilot season. Right. And I had been there for a couple of weeks and, you know, was just like so nervous with everything. And then I get this audition for a Nickelodeon show, and I'm a huge Nickelodeon fan. I'm so nervous. The thing I remember from the breakdown for like what they were looking for, it said something like, English, but without an English accent. And I don't know, I took that in my head to be like, Natalie Portman is Queen Amidala. So I think that's, <laughs> that is what I tried. <laughs> that was, that was inspiration. inspiration. <laughs> Natalie Portman is Queen Amidala. That was, it makes sense actually with that character. <laughs> oh good, yeah. That's right. I don't know if I nailed the Natalie Portman, but that was my version of it. It was just so exciting. I remember, I think my first couple episodes were at Salami Studios. Yes maybe on magnolia and i just never seen anything like it and everybody was so nice and so cool and it was this like really relaxed atmosphere and i was like oh my gosh what a life you can come in in sweatpants and play and have so much fun and be creative it was just so cool and then i went back to georgia and i ended up doing i think my last couple episodes right. in georgia because i was still in school yeah and then as the show took off were you aware of what avatar was becoming to the, to the first generation that grew up with it and then subsequently when it came out again during Netflix? You know, I started watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really good. And then, I mean, with social media, I started learning like how many followers and diehard fans there were. Like still, I get sent all these beautiful drawings that people do of Princess Yue, which is crazy and amazing. And when it came on Netflix, my husband and I started rewatching it. I think whenever it was like yeah. a year ago when it started coming out and it, it still holds up like as an adult, I feel like I was a kid when I did it, but as an adult, like there's so many universal messages that I think are timeless and it's a really great show. Right? It's so good. And you also had the experience once you started working a bunch on camera, as you said, like the difference between and I'd love to hear if this is true for you. But like, I think for both Dante and I, who also do a lot of on camera stuff, the difference between how you can watch and absorb your work when you're animated and you like you yeah. didn't have to sit in the makeup chair and get all your makeup yeah. done it's just it's so different of course they're both acting they just almost feel unconnected sometimes because the experience of it is just for me m more magical because the time you put into it is so much less and then the finished product is so just like oh <gasps> Like, you feel like a little yes. kid, like, oh my gosh, that's me? Like, I got to do the voice of that character or that creature? Oh, you yeah. know, it's just a totally different experience. Has that felt like that for you as well? Yeah, 100%. These artists draw these characters. And like you said, when it's you playing the character on camera, like, there's so much physicality that goes into it. There's so much more. And this, you just step in and say the words. And then you're like, this little piece to this puzzle of this beautiful character and this beautiful project that it's crazy to see it, especially for the first time. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. That's my voice, but that's that's a character. Like that's a character, but that's my voice. That's how I felt when I first saw Cora. Even though I had done some other cartoon stuff, just the the amount of her voice on screen <laughs> as her character. The next time yeah. I opened my mouth to talk, I felt I was like, oh. Oh, this feels wrong. Like this voice feels like it belongs to someone else that I was just watching now. Now I don't feel comfortable in my own voice. I want to like give it over to like this cartoon character. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Now, how does it feel, you know, because Avatar has become so, you know, this phenomenal hit and really in a lot of ways become this new fairy tale, like for this whole mm. world of people. Have you, A, have you ever been to a Comic-Con? Uh, yes. 
And how, yes. how was that experience uh-huh. meeting the fans? Oh, so cool. It's yeah. People like I didn't go for avatars going with my husband, but people knew like people knew oh, me wow. as Princess Yue. And I was like, this is bananas. It feels like such a special community. And Princess Yue is, is a very unique character within that community that has a lot of feels towards because of her whole story. Even as a supporting character in, in the whole story of Avatar, Princess Yue's character is a very important story arc to it. And a lot of times mm. as actors coming on a show, our characters, if you're coming on supporting, you're not like one of the series regulars. You don't really have a character arc. But Yue has yeah. this really important, amazing character arc for Shadow Report. We all know what happens to Princess Yue. Oh, yes. It's, yes. it's actually an iconic character within the world of Avatar. She's like a Disney princess. Yeah, that, that's what it feels like. But like Janet said, like I feel like I can I can't take any credit for that. I'm just it's so cool that my voice is a little a little part of it. You know, we feel that way too. But you're part of this like world. Yeah. How does it feel? Like, how, do you ever think about that? Yeah, it feels really cool and really special. It's like a childhood dream to play this like right. epic little princess. She's just a cool character. I don't want to like obviously give stuff away, but the choices she makes, the things she goes through, she's going through a lot. She's going through a lot. She has, in three episodes, you said it so concisely, Dante, like she has the character arc that you might see a character in a season or two seasons or three seasons of television go through. And Mm -hmm. we meet her, are totally just like enamored of her. We fall in love with her. We're with Sokka. We fall in love with her. We learn so much about her just by (laughs) even those initial choices. Like who doesn't love a princess who doesn't really want to be a princess. Like, hey, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Let me show you all the ways in which this is actually not ideal. And falling for somebody who isn't necessarily like high and mighty and it's not about wealth or power or anything like that. So you already have a sense of how grounded she is. And then her journey, foreshadow report, foreshadow report, proves that she's even more of a hero and it's a lot to just get in for us to care yeah. so deeply about her by the season finale yeah. is like really remarkable. I'm I mean, so lucky. Also, I just need to say it's really cool <laughs> hearing y'all's voices. It's so trippy. <laughs> it's, it's just so trippy. And then having to see our mugs attached to them. Here they are. Like, here they here are. they are. Zuko and Korra hanging out. That's right. Zuko and Korra hang out. But Zuko and Korra hanging out with uh, a lot of iconic characters from on camera stuff, too. I mean, you're like Quantico, Easy A, like there's so many like things that people become obsessed by that you've had a chance to be a part of. So clearly you've mm-hmm. also like experienced the side of like being recognizable walking around. It's a different experience, right? Do you have that relationship with being recognized where it's tough because you feel like I can't reciprocate that? Yeah, I think I always just feel like kind of like this. I'm like, well, it's not me. You know, like this guy wrote it, like this guy directed it. Like that's, yeah, I love it too. I'm so grateful. Well, you know, you extend that world out when you show to be the wonderful person that you are and the humble person that you are and that you have that recognition of of all the moving parts that go into this world building. All you're doing is just extending Princess Yue out into the world because people are like, oh, I am glad Johanna got is Princess Yue. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) she deserved to be Princess Yue. I love that. I love that. (laughs) When you first saw Princess Yue's white hair, what did you think? Into it. Oh, and with like her tan skin, which is like, it was such a cool look. Oh, it's beautiful. It actually became a look. Young girls and guys dyeing their hair like platinum, platinum white. 
Yeah. And it was like, that was like the look for a while. And I was like, yeah, I was and then when that was happening. I was like, that's so UA right there. They're like out here. Being and UA. Storm, I will say and Storm. <laughs> and Storm. Storm from X-Men. Let's too, not forget Storm. Like, yeah, it was oh, very storm yes. So cool. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. That's a very good yes, look. Yes. From super cool. Speaking of superheroes, Johanna, it, because you have been part of this universe that and this fandom that has this kind of magical element and power factor to it, are there other kind of superheroes that it would you think it would be really fun to play either as a voice in animation or on screen? I mean, any honestly, <laughs> any and all superheroes would be amazing to play. Superheroes are just so cool. I don't know if there's one specific, like specifically. I would yeah. literally love to play any of them. Do you have a style of like if you were to be a bender? Do, have you thought about that? And yeah, I mean, let's be real. I would love to have any bending abilities. I'd take them, any of them, any and all of them. I think though, just like purely for fun, I would want water. Just thinking of like surfing and being able to make like your ideal wave every time sounds really nice. That's pretty good. So That's we got a good. surfer on our hands. I like that. Am- amateur surfer, yes. I'm in Hawaii right now. Water bending would be a good skill to have in that water for sure. Are you really? <laughs> <gasps> That's how I was too. Like I loved boogie boarding, but I always felt like how clunky it is, like getting slammed in the face by the boogie board. And in your mind, somehow you tell yourself like, if I just didn't need the boogie board and I could just stand on the water by myself <laughs> or just be a mermaid, that's what's yeah. holding me back. <laughs> exactly. Be a mermaid, everything would be all right. Right. So if you're a waterbender, like, yeah, you can have the board there for fun, but you could also just like ride the wave yeah, barefoot. I mean, like, <laughs> but do you need it? Joanna, you're so water tribe, you know, whatever. She's so water. So right. He's always a little hurt when people don't say that they're from the Fire Nation. So, Aww. and do you have like a ship? You know, relationship ships, shipping. Do you know about shipping? I mean, I think I'm biased. It's very much in UA. I just think there's something like so sweet and innocent about them, and just like this instant natural connection that. <laughs> Spoiler, I know. like doesn't necessarily yeah. get to. I mean, you meet. The, we never get to see her. It doesn't get to wrap up. She happens to be a princess. Um, she likes you back. Yeah, and then she turns into the moon. What are you gonna do? <laughs> it just. What do you do? I mean, it happens, right? It just felt like such right. a like special. It felt like your first love. You know, you go. I'm, I'm never gonna forget. She's the fish that got away. Yes, is. <laughs> but you have the added benefit of. She didn't get away because she was like, oh, I'm not into you. No, she, no, She no, gets no. away for like this. A higher this, purpose. You know, a higher amazing purpose. Amazing purpose. Yeah. So it's the best of every world. Doesn't have a chance to go bad. And yes. you get to know that like a hero loved you. Great. It's the best way to break up with somebody. Like it's not you. I have to go be the moon. I have to save the universe. <laughs> like, I really, I'm into you. Don't take it personally. I have to go never see you again and go be the moon. <laughs> Or you can see me every night if you want. Yes. Like, take it how you want. You can see me every night. I will always be with you. That's right. A lot of poems <laughs> written about the moon, a lot of songs about the moon. She's very key. Yeah. Johanna, this has been so 
wonderful and just lovely. And people are going to be so, so, so happy that we had the chance to have you on the podcast. Are there social media handles you can share with folks to keep up with what you're doing? Um, Yeah, my I only have Instagram. It's the Johanna Braddy. Yes. Um, and currently I'm working on Chicago Med. It's such a great group of people. That's it's like feeling, the nice. Right? Yeah. Also, the, I love Chicago and I've spent such a little amount yes. of time there. That is one of those jobs where I'm like, I mean, if someone wants to put me on a show that's supposedly takes place in Chicago, like, I don't mind. I, I don't even have to be there to shoot it, but I would love to be there to shoot <laughs> yeah. it. That's an air nomad city. That's the air. That's that's the windy city. It's little little air nomads up there, you know. Ooh, good point. Yeah, we only had one snow last week, but I think I think it's You've coming. Got this, it's worth it. Everybody, check out Chicago Med. Johanna, thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was awesome to chat with you guys. And next week we'll be speaking to the man himself, as I like to call him, Giancarlo, the director of The Great Divide, Volpe. I mean, Dante, he's he's directed other episodes of Avatar as well. I mean, but that's his finest work. You guys don't want to miss this one. Follow us on social media. I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter at the JV Club on Instagram. You are at Dante Bosco basically everywhere. Everywhere. Except for on TikTok at Dante. We'll see everybody next Tuesday. And make sure to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the podcast. So thank you, friends. 